Yeah. And you know what? I'm, I'm not usually one to try and take on someone who has so much expertise, but I'm in, not in being a crook. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but I, that's a good point. Welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting on the Big Talker 106.7 FM every single Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern in Wilmington, North Carolina. Check out our website, consumerchoiceradio.com. You'll find all of our past interviews and links, show notes, everything else that you want to see, we will have there. I'm one half of your host, Yael Usoski, broadcasting to you from Vienna. And uh, it's quite a week, and the guy who's going to be here with me... On the mic is my co-host, David Clement. David, how goes it? It's going pretty well. What a week. Um, I know we were just speaking off air. This is this is definitely one of my most anticipated shows um, for two exciting reasons. Um, the first is a big announcement we have. And then the second is the French Revolution of Finance and everything going on with GameStop. So... Before we dive into GameStop, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you to give our listeners the big announcement about Consumer Choice Radio. So guys, we are very excited. It's been a year-long project putting this radio show together. Uh, it's been great to have a partner in The Big Talker in Wilmington, North Carolina, also putting it out on podcast. But we are excited to announce that we now have a new syndication affiliate for Consumer Choice Radio with Saga, 960 AM out of the greater Toronto area right there in David's backyard in Ontario, Canada. So, uh, David, we've made it. We are now, uh, I guess you can say, internationally syndicated radio hosts, and our program is uh, will be beaming across North America. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people get to, get to say that their show is carried in more than one country. So, Super excited to to join the Saga 960 team. Um, huge, huge reach for the program. That's a, that's a for our American listeners listening. That means that we'll be um, in the Toronto market, which is Canada's the largest city. Um, so it really is the next step for Consumer Choice Radio. I'm very excited about it. And uh, it does mean that we'll be changing up part of the format of the show. Normally, it's a sort of freewheeling one hour. Uh, this time, we'll be implementing different segments and breaks, and you'll hear some music in between. Uh, if you want to hear the sort of unedited version, you can go ahead and uh, go to the podcast, so consumerchoiceradio.com. Uh, you'll have that commercial-free, but we will be playing uh, commercials on air. Uh, doesn't really matter if you're on podcast. You won't hear it. But that'll be sort of the new format of the program. Awesome opportunity. Uh, please do go and follow Saga960 AM. They're all over Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you guys can support the station. There's going to be a lot of people. And we're, David and I are going to be doing uh, promo interviews all next week. And uh, our voices are going to be sort of <laughs> being uh, slowly slipped into the ears of the, of the listeners there in the area. And then uh, people will be able to hear us Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so we'll do a, a show on Thursday at 1 p.m. And then our show, Big Talker, will go out uh, Saturday at 10. So yes. uh, a lot of fun for the program. Thank you guys for 
listening and supporting uh, for the last year, whether you started listening last week or you know many months ago. Uh, it's great to have you guys on the journey. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you to the listeners for helping us build this project. Um, I mean, it was a bit of an experiment when we first started a year ago, and it's really turned into something pretty beautiful. So excited to expand that. And Yael, you will have the um, the the responsibility, I'll put it that way, of making sure that I'm not too long-winded and going over for time with our uh, new, more strict um, timeline for the show. So yeah, good luck on that Well, one. it yeah, it's, it's more than that. It's a full-time job. Um, day trader hours, David. It's day trader hours that it's going to take me to try to calm you down into <laughs> condensed window segments. And speaking of day trading, David, um, there's a reason, I guess, that I've got 55 tabs open uh, to the markets, looking at the crypto markets, looking at the stock markets, and awaiting the morning bell. And uh, that begins our drama today on Consumer Choice Radio as we dissect the insanity of the last week. David, I know you you uh, you came prepared with notes. You did your homework. I did. I did. Let us begin. Yes. Okay. So everyone has been talking about GameStop. Uh, Anthony Scaramucci has called this the French Revolution of finance. And so I'll give a brief synopsis of what's happened. Uh, and then we'll get into what has recently happened with Robinhood and and the uh, the scandal there. So, GameStop for our American listeners, very very commonplace uh, brick and mortar video game store. Uh, because pretty pretty global, real quick, David. Yes. I actually was there. <laughs> this is fun. I was there right around Christmas time. I walked into the GameStop, nice. looked around, and I bought absolutely nothing because I thought I can buy all of this online or I have a digital game. That is the perfect segue to how we got into this. So uh, many people felt the same way as you did. Um, and some hedge funds actually thought that the business was destined to fail. And so they shorted the stock, which in layman terms is betting that the stock price will go down significantly. And they did so, it became the most shorted stock on the stock market. And a couple big hedge funds actually essentially bet the house that it would go down. And so that's not a normal, that's not um, unusual. That's common practice on Wall Street, um, the, the practice of short selling. We'll get more into that later. But as that happened, there is this growing community of retail investors. And so retail investors is really just code for people like you and I, people who are generally making small investments in the market and usually through apps like Robinhood or Wealthsimple. And so those retail investors have congregated on the very popular Reddit thread, Wall Street Bets, and they disagreed. They disagreed that GameStop was done. And they noticed that there was a big short out. And so through Reddit um, and actually with some pretty serious financial analysis and credibility, they said that the share price would go the other way. And so an example of, of where the credibility comes from, because I think a lot of the media has missed this, is there, there were some big institutional sized investors who actually thought 
the company was going the other way and that it would grow so much so that they put a lot of money into this and actually joined the board. So the co-founder of Chewy, um, which was a big pet online retailer that got bought by PetSmart, they, um, the, the co-founder put 10%, uh, he bought 10% of, of GameStop and he joined the board. Um, and so retail investors were like, oh, okay, this company's going to turn around. We're going to, we're going to like this company is going to turn around. There's the right people now kind of managing the ship, whether or not that's true. I do not know. I'm not a financial advisor. So these are just my, my uh, uneducated views, but then the stock started to skyrocket. You had retail investors to go to go. uh, Yeah. To go to the Reddit thing very quickly um, from what I've been reading the genesis, at least on the thread, goes back to this user mm-hmm. who, Chicken as far as I know, his name is uh, Deep Value. Can't yes. say it on the radio. Um, that's the no. username. So he bought, I believe, in July 2020. And I think in, in by August and September was posting that he was long on GameStop, that he had all these shares. And that's sort of from there snowballed into what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then all these other people started jumping on the bandwagon and then essentially the entire focus of, of the financial world is, is now on what's happening before our eyes. Yes, and that, and that Reddit user didn't just go long. He turned $50,000 into $20 million. And, so, and he did so in a, in a very internet way where after, after his gains, um, he posted a video of him dipping chicken tenders into champagne, um, which was just his way of basically showing... Uh, and demonstrating that he had made all this money. So obviously retail investors got excited. I mean, ordinary people like you and I chipping in $100, $500 or whatever um, saw an opportunity to make some money. And this is where the short squeeze opportunity came because essentially what had happened is some of these hedge funds had really bet big on the stock going down. They were vulnerable um, so vulnerable that they were having to close their positions because they were losing so much money. I think the cumulative loss on those who shorted the stock was about $5 billion. And what's interesting, and this is really where the, the price started to soar, is when you close your position, if you're going to hedge against your losses, you're going to buy more stock to try and cover your position. So if the stock goes up, at least you're going to make some of your money back. And this is where it goes viral. This is where you start to see that exponential growth on on the stock and it starts to go up and up and up. And then on Reddit, news gets wind of this, that that these Reddit, uh, this Reddit army of retail investors has successfully enacted the biggest squeeze of all big, of all short squeezes. And of course, this goes viral. It turns into something beyond just the stock. There are now other stocks in play and involved. Um, and it's very much become something where retail investors are kind of acting. Um, they're one part investor, but then also one part activist, because there's a lot of folks who who kind of like the fact that they got to play the game. And as of right now, or as of as of before the Robinhood shutdown, they were winning. And so one other note on this, which is relevant to where things really fall apart. So Melvin Capital is a big hedge fund. They were short on, on GameStop. 
they were short and lost about $2 billion. And other funds called Citadel and Point72, which are even larger, essentially had to bail them out and give them the money to cover their losses. And so all of this is going on. Reddit and Wall Street bets, the community there are rejoicing because the little guy has won. And most of these retail investors are trading through apps like uh, like Wealthsimple, like uh, Robinhood or the Cash app. And I think it was upwards of 60%, 50 to 60% of all GameStop stock was hosted on Robinhood. Yes. And likely still is. Yes, it definitely. It, it likely still is. And so what happened on Thursday is that Robinhood stopped allowing for its users to purchase GameStop GameStop stock, which is really an unprecedented move um, because it, it's strange that you would... For, for Robinhood, yes. For Robinhood, you mean, or in general. Correct. Yes. You could no longer, there are hot stocks like AMC and Blackberry and Nokia and Naked Brands and a couple other, a handful of other um, companies. And so they stopped doing this. Um, obviously, the, the Wall Street bets and, and Robinhood crowd were outraged because this was their platform that they were using. And what was interesting is that Robinhood made this decision, but the New York Stock Exchange did not halt trading on the stock. And the SEC, in fact, said, yes, we're monitoring this, but there's nothing illegal about managers go on uh, CNBC all the time and talk, talk about stocks. This is really just that at the, the, the minute level, the individual level. And from that, everyone started digging into, okay, well, why did Robinhood stop their users from buying GameStop? And unfortunately, there are the now, I, I'm not accusing anyone of impropriety, but one of the theories out there is, so because Robinhood is free for users, they don't charge you for your trades, they actually sell market research and data to companies. And one of their biggest um, clients is Citadel, which if you remember just a few minutes ago, is the fund that bailed out Melvin Capital. And so there seems to be a very uncomfortable conflict of interest where Robinhood's major client is Citadel and Citadel is already negative $2 billion for having to bail out Melvin Capital. And so for the ordinary person, this feels very fishy. And then on top of that, mm. Lee, um, people were watching their um, their investment kind of dissolve. Yeah. They, they couldn't, if they had options or other, um, other plays on the app, they couldn't actualize them. And so it really created a huge issue. Um, and, and I'm sure that I'm sure that this will go to Congress and there'll be congressional hearings about it. Um, I know that, Yael, you saw uh, the, the voices that kind of came together. Now, in support as you mentioned, David, we saw were people coming from all political sides and really turning to the populist anger you know, calling out Robin Hood, saying this is this has been a you know huge monumental power grab by the Wall Street elites. That this is them selling out. Uh, it was pretty bipartisan, pretty uniform. You had AOC tweeting things, Ted Cruz, uh, Donald Trump Jr. You had kind of the whole gamut, and it became once more political things. And they were talking about hearings. 
By the way, I love AOC. This is the way that she says it. He goes, if there's a hearing, I would support it. Yes. Not, you know, I will petition to have one called tomorrow. <laughs> uh, that's a, a whole other point about I think she's more of a celebrity than a politician, but that's another point. But yes, definitely you saw people left and right going crazy. You had uh, Elon Musk kind of weigh in as well. And then everyone is got the target on the back of Robin Hood. And this is an important sort of dynamic of the entire story. This was an app that was started by basically two immigrants or sons of immigrants. They're Wall Street, I mean, not Wall Street, they're tech bros from, you know, California, from Stanford. Um, actually, the CEO now, Vladimir Tenev, so he's the one, we've got a clip of him. He's the one who is the CEO and is doing a lot of the interviews. Um, so he's only two years older than I am. And uh, already a billionaire. Uh, it's both him and his biz business partner, Baiju Bhatt, uh, whose family is from India. Uh, Vladimir Tenev is from Bulgaria. So you have two sort of success stories of immigrants or children of immigrants. They put together this app after trying to understand more about trading in New York. And really for a long time, at least the last two years since I've had it, it's been a you know a good experience. It was not anything where I would put uh, too much of my money or retirement or anything like this, but just for ordinary day trading or if you had a stock or a company or index fund that you were interested in, it's where you could easily throw money. Um, it would still take four days, let's say, for your money to deposit into the app, but they would allow you to go ahead and start trading immediately. And that's sort of exactly why Robinhood became so popular. It was perfect for millennials who had just a little bit of cash that they could invest and they could buy parts of stock. They could buy portions. They could buy small fractions. They didn't need to buy one stock of Apple at whatever it is, 800 bucks. They could buy 0.1. And that's why it became so popular. And now, enemy number one. Yeah. Entire movements of people downgrading it in the app stores. Uh, people talking about try suing them. All these uh, talk of... Uh, lawsuits, and you don't really hear much out of Robin Hood throughout the course of the day. And this this all really transpired on Thursday, the 28th. And uh, want ahead and let's go ahead and just play yep. a clip of the CEO, uh, Vladimir Tenev. He did two interviews. He might have done more. These are the only ones I was able to find. So he did one for the Wall Street crowd on CNBC, and they, he did another for the general population Main Street crowd on CNN. So let's play CNBC with uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, this is uh, Vladimir Tenev, CEO of Robinhood. This was late Thursday evening. Thank you for having me on the show again, uh, Andrew. Um, so what happened today was, as you pointed out, we had to make a very difficult decision. It's been, uh, it's been a challenging day. We made the decision uh, in the morning to limit the buying of about 13 securities on our platform. So to be clear, uh, customers could still sell uh, those securities if they had positions in them. And they could also trade in the thousands of other securities on our platform. So uh, it was a difficult decision. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what we had to do as part of normal operations. But explain then, why did you do this? What, did, did the SEC call you and tell you you had to do this? Was there a problem inside the company in terms of liquidity, in terms of the amount of deposits that you had uh, to, to put it in front to the exchanges? What led to this? Sure. And let me let me explain exactly how this works. Um, 
Oh, first of all, I want to address some of the misinformation that's been out there because there's a lot of it. Um, we... so, so, David, we'll we'll let the plit, the clip play, but just pay attention yep. to this part. It'll become very important. Absolutely, did not do this at the direction of any market maker or hedge fund uh, or anyone we route to or other market participants. Uh, the reason we did it was because uh, Robinhood is a brokerage firm. Uh, we have lots of financial requirements, including SEC net capital requirements and clearinghouse deposits. So that's money that we have to deposit at various clearinghouses. So some of these requirements uh, fluctuate quite a bit based on volatility in the markets. And they can be substantial in the current environment where there's a lot of volatility and a lot of concentrated activity in uh, in these names that have been going viral on social media. So we're really in unprecedented times. And in order to protect the firm and protect our customers, um, we had to limit buying in these in these stocks. And to be yeah, so that's sort of the explanation. Yeah which is not really an explanation. It's understandable. I don't know, David, what are your first thoughts? I don't know if you watched any I, of these. I, I did uh, watch a couple. This morning. Um, it's so, I mean, I, I, I can't parse through whether or not that's true without actually digging into whatever their requirements are. But what I can say is that it, it is a little misleading and, and several people online have pointed this out. Um, that he said it, he did it to protect his customers. So because Robinhood is free and there are no fees, his customer customers are the people that they sell data to. His- well, hold on. Let me let me do let me run to the defense yep. real quick because I think this is what's complicated. And look, this guy is I don't know what he is a financier, an engineer. He's a tech bro. Right? He doesn't understand communication and how, how you actually can, can talk to people. And I think what he means is if Robinhood was not able to, at the end of the day, fund all of the trades and positions and you know all the, the margins and everything at the clearinghouse, then the whole thing would have been shut down. And then everybody's stock across the entire platform, everybody's trading would just be down, would be paused it seemed for him prudent to just stop those, you know, whatever it became to be 10 or 15 stocks, not allow people to buy more so they could kind of get their ducks in a row. That's sort of my understanding. And I'm seeing this come later. I mean, we are obviously all reacting in the moment and with no explanation. uh, There's a lot of heat, a lot of rhetoric that comes out. And I think that your take there is, is likely accurate, but I think that if that's the case, he has to do a better job of highlighting what the consequences would have been or what they could have been if this were allowed to proceed as it was. Because the. All right, well, let's yes. tease this out. Let's say he goes on CNBC, said, look, if we allow these trades to go on until, let's say, 1 p.m., something like this, then our entire website would be down. We wouldn't be able to fund anything. Would you have confidence in a trading platform that would say that, where they're always on the brink of closing the door and shutting it down? So I think he's also, you can tell he's being coached. He's got his mm. notes. Uh, 
that's the great thing about doing video interviews. You see him reading the notes at the very important parts, and that's when he said, you know, we were not influenced by any individual market actors or market participants. I mean, that's total Wall Street speak. Of course, speak. of course. <laughs> but I would say the, the, like, it's one of those things where if he goes on and says, hey, guys, if we let this go, the app would have gone down and you wouldn't have been able to trade anything. And so cost-benefit analysis, we had to do this, and it was better than the alternative. Now, is that going to instill much confidence for users that the app could go down with some spikes in volatility? No, it certainly wouldn't. But on the flip side, and this is where he's kind of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, is by shutting down, um, by shutting down those stocks, which were what a lot of people were trading, it ostracizes his user base and ostracizes his user base in a way that makes it look like there's something funny going on in the background and we can take his word for it and oh, there, yeah. there very well might not be that's that that is a likely possibility but you can't help but look and connect the dots and go hold on wait a second the institutions still get to trade and then you also have to factor in that other larger platforms than Robinhood, like TD Ameritrade and, um, and, and other apps did the same thing. And so were these huge institutions also at risk? I don't know. I can't, I can't speak to that. But there are some serious questions that have to be asked as to why this essentially went market-wide with the exception of a few, mm. um, with the exception of a few apps that still allowed you, allowed you to trade. Um, I know that from, from my experience, if you were trading through your bank, um, everything was fine. You were still able to trade those equities. Um, but the reason why these apps exist is because they democratize finance and they make it more accessible for people because not a lot of people are going to be in their online banking, making trades and wanting to pay $6 on each end of the transaction and losing a lot of money just in fees. And so they go to these apps because they're supposed to be kind of the the Bloomberg and the trading platform for the people. And then all of a sudden, what they want to trade is stripped from them. There were rumors. I don't know if they're substantiated that certain positions were actually liquidated. Um, so people were having their stock sold um, in the app and just being notified that it was sold, which would be a big problem for me um, because you own the stock they're the broker. It seems strange that they would sell your one share of GameStop at a price that you didn't agree to. Um, that seems to be another maybe, maybe yeah. big problem for them. Um, and so it's interesting. I, I would love to know what the justification was for other apps. Did they encounter the same sure. clearinghouse issues? Um, those are questions that I assume will be answered if or when this does go to Congress. You're listening to Consumer Choice Radio here on the Big Talker, 106.7 FM. So we played the clip before of our Robinhood CEO on CNBC, and uh, we have another clip here. This is him on CNN. So speaking more to a Main Street crowd, and he's with uh, the the brother of the COVID hero. Uh, he's with Chris Cuomo. Uh, so let's hear what he has to say on CNN and how that differs from what you heard before. From the rich and giving to the poor and doing exactly the opposite. 
that when the big guys, including one of your main investors in your company, started to lose, you shut down the game to starve the little guy. Fair criticism. That's not what it is at all. And I know you started this segment. Um, it really resonated with me because you, you described the story of Robinhood. Robinhood started five years ago by pioneering commission-free, no-account minimum mobile investing. And we've been the spokesperson of the individual investor. And our whole goal as an institution is to enable those customers, empower them, and give them access to the markets. Because for the longest time, markets have been only accessible to the wealthy. And so the entire industry adopted our business model in 2019. And in 2020, um, we added millions of new customers. The entire industry added millions of new customers who took advantage of the market rally and became investors for the very first time. So, you know, we had to make a very difficult decision to protect uh, our customers and our firm. Why? Uh, but we in no way... Uh, why? Explain why you had to do it if it wasn't to protect the guys who had shorted uh, the stocks, which are the big hedge funds. How are you helping the little guy investors? Well, I know that there's rumors around that, um, you know, we were directed by market makers or other market participants to do this. And I want to be 100 percent clear. This decision was not made on the direction of any market maker or uh, other market participants. There's so Real quick, David, I'm, I yep. paused it. Did you notice the use of a performative in there? No. Do you know a performative? Uh, no. So a performative is a very unique linguistic tool. It's something that we learned in debate okay. class. It's something positive that you affirm that essentially acknowledges something, but is separate from what you're about to say mm. next. So in a way, it's, it's basically saying, I want to be clear we didn't yes. do X. Well, he's honest about wanting to be clear, but the X part is yes, not okay. true. Just like the Bill yes. Clinton, let me be yep. clear. Okay, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> or I want to be clear. So performatives are usually used to try to provide emphasis, but many times are sort of hiding uh, the actual Ooh. truth. All right, let's go. How'd you do it? Robinhood, uh, as a brokerage, has lots of financial requirements. SEC requirements. We have to put up money at clearing houses. The amount of money that we have to put up depends on market volatility, and we're in historic. Uh, we're in a historic situation where there's a lot of activity and a lot of buying concentrated in a relatively small number of symbols that are going viral on social media. So we haven't really seen anything like this before, and to to prudently manage. Uh, the, the risk and the deposit requirements, uh, we had to restrict buying in these 13 stocks. But customers that held them could sell throughout. Uh, thousands of other securities and stocks on our platform were available to freely trade. And our number one priority, as you mentioned, is to make sure our platform is reliable, stable for our customers. We're serving our customers and giving them the tools. But that's exactly and what's the question now. we're doing everything in our power to turn it back on as soon as prudent. Well, we, we have no choice. We have to comply with all financial uh, requirements. And the SEC hasn't said you had to do this. Well, lots of brokers uh, have to uh, comply with these financial requirements and, restrict and have issued restrictions on some of these names. Uh, and 
this is an industry-wide thing. You yourself mentioned that other brokers this week have imposed restrictions. And not speaking for other firms, but for Robinhood in particular, this isn't because there's uh, you know deals happening with market makers we route to or market participants. But These then why are... did you allow people to keep selling but not buying? The reason that is so troubling to people. All right, is so he, hmm. it, yeah, it kind of goes yep. back and forth. But what, um, yeah, interesting sort of thought. I, I don't know. I didn't get much more detail. But yeah, I think you're right. If if he that actually was the situation, I think he could afford to be frank. I mean, the amount of it, it's a private company, but if it was itself public, good God, it'd be in the tank right now. <laughs> and and also just look at the impact. So I it sounds it's it doesn't sound that egregious to say people were still allowed to sell, right? Giving them that like little tidbit, like at least you were still able to sell. But because they limited people's ability to buy, the price tanked and people on the exactly. app were then looking and deciding, okay, well, the trajectory for the stock was going up. I made this investment believing that it would continue to go up and all signs pointed that it was going to continue to do so. Um, but then the price tanked and so you have people cutting their losses not necessarily because they don't want to hold. It's just because they're seeing their investment dissolve because the main source of buying is no longer available. And what's interesting is for all of these hot stocks, you can see in real time the dips and the spikes that that correspond with when Robinhood has allowed or has not allowed trading. And so... That for me is really where a lot of people are upset is because it's like, well, I would have hold, I would have held, I want to keep holding. I think this stock is going to go up, but I just lost 80% of my investment in two hours because everyone was in a position where they thought the market was tanking in, in many ways artificially because there were still thousands, hundreds and thousands, maybe millions of people who were still willing to buy. They just didn't have access anymore. So and the, and what he won't admit is, look, by doing that, you've essentially frozen half of people who own this stock from buying, and everyone else who wants to buy is. You are influencing the market at that point. Yeah, it's it's, it's and a that's, huge distortion. That's, that's not brought up. That's the yep. impact. I mean, it didn't shoot down just because all the Wall Street guys, you know, were in their battle stations on their computers, you know, doing all of the trades to go down so significantly, which it did. And I know you and I were, were tracking this, and uh, I tried to buy GameStop, by the way, on the, the first day, I think on Wednesday, and Robinhood never allowed me to do yep. so. Uh, so I wasn't even allowed to buy it. I don't know why. I just got rejected twice. I didn't try after that because I figured it was a waste. But that itself, in blocking off purchasing of that, I mean, you are deciding the fate of that stock in itself. And maybe that's a too hard of a position. And real quick, I have another clip, very short, 40 seconds, uh, with um, your hero, the Wolf of Wall Street. Ooh, beautiful. Let's hear it. <laughs> Jordan Belfort. This is his theory as to why Robin Hood did what it did and sort of what's next. I, I believe it's not so much that they're on the sides of, of big business or big hedge funds. They have massive liability 
on their side, because here's what's going to happen. I promise you this will happen when this is over and it will end and all these stocks come crashing back down to their fundamental values. There are going to be lawsuits flying. And you know who's going to be named in everyone? Robinhood. Ameritrade, all the platforms that did the trades are going to say, you should have known better. You knew there was fraud because all it takes is that they prove collusion or, or manipulation. The platforms had a fiduciary responsibility to protect people. So that's why they're shutting these things down because they have massive so, so, liability. Let me so that's a bit of a different theory. He's saying they're just trying to avoid any future lawsuits and essentially they don't want to call out and say hey there's manipulation going on on the part of the buyers uh they're just sort of protecting themselves by not allowing the massive i mean crowd psychology experiment to yeah, continue and you know what i'm i'm not usually one to try and take on someone who has so much expertise but i'm not in in being a crook well, <laughs> yeah, I, that's a good point i'm not sure if i buy that because look if you use their app you're an adult whether you invest your spare change or you are putting tens of thousands of dollars into your app if you win straight up great for you if you lose straight up that's the game the problem is is that by restricting buying it was no longer straight up and so in talking about lawsuits and consumer protection, what they've done now is they've completely tanked the position of hundreds of thousands of their customers by restricting trading and essentially forced losses upon them. And so it's if they were worried about lawsuits because people were going to lose money when this all comes crumbling down, well, those people lost money when you stopped buying. And so, and, and now yeah. we know there is a, there is a, a lawsuit in the works in the Southern District of New York, and I have no idea where that's going to go and whether or not it has any merit, but they've opened themselves up to another avenue of lawsuit. And what I will say, and I saw a bunch of traditional Wall Street folks on, on various outlets basically accusing um, Wall Street bets and 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 retail investors of of colluding, and the appropriate response from folks who follow that was, hold on a second, we're sharing our thoughts on what we like. We like the stock. We don't like the stock. We want it to go up. We think it will go up. It's no different than when a hedge fund manager goes on CNBC and says, this stock I think is going to grow, whether the fundamentals of the stock are good or not, and so it's no different than the conversations that exist in the media when we talk about reporting of the stock market. And to their credit, the retail investors have outfoxed Wall Street before. Now, they didn't do it in a big squeeze, but much of the surge of Tesla can be attributed to retail investors believing in the company for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. Who knows? Maybe they just like Elon Musk, or maybe they think that Elon Musk's battery technology and cars are the way of the future. We don't know, but they have outfoxed Wall Street before. And so for me, it just, if th that explanation feels uncomfortable. Uh, and obviously a lot of that mm. will have to come out in the wash when, when people really analyze this. And so I don't know which direction it's going to go, but it, it feels uncomfortable. And I think that that's why 
AOC, Ted Cruz, Elon Musk, Dave Portnoy, they've all basically come together and said, hey, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Um, because it just feels unfair. It feels unfair that in the name of trying to protect retail investors, you force them into a losing position. So, yeah. And I think this is a, it's a, it's a broad consumer question. And I think, David, you probably agree with me. If we are to introduce any kind of governmental regulation or oversight, it'll likely make it worse and probably make it much worse for any kind of ordinary investors. Yes. Uh, who knows what kind of restrictions they would then put. It's like, well, you need to make sure you have an XX, you know, amount of liquidity at the end of the day. Well, then most of these apps can't even exist. Yes. <laughs> so that that's and unfortunate. And uh, one person you didn't mention that I did want to play very quick, because you did mention yep. Tesla. Um, it's not Musk. As far as I know, he hasn't um, done any interviews. Uh, but it's actually Chamath Palataya. Yes. So he's great. He's beyond the CNBC. He's a very large investor, CEO of Social Capital, uh, apparently chairman at the Virgin Galactic. Pretty awesome. Uh, and he owns the Golden State Warriors. Yes. So uh, not a nope. poor dude. And uh, when you listen to this clip, he uh, actually also bought in on the GameStop and uh, kind of gives an ex explanation as to why and what all of this means. Day over day, massively levered small swings. So basically what you're saying is, hey, if retail runs a momentum play to squeeze a short, that's wrong. But hey, if Renaissance Technologies and somebody else does it, that's okay. That's what you're saying. You may not know that that's what you're saying, but that's what you're saying. And to me, that feels very unfair. No, no. What, I, what, I, what I'm saying is someone's going to get screwed, okay? Someone's going to get screwed. And it's going to be the, one of the retail, it's going to be a retail investor who gets screwed because they think that this is the way the game works, that this is the new Wall Street. They're new to this game. Maybe they haven't been in the game that long. Not everybody, not trying to say that in any way, shape, or form. I but somebody's going to get hurt. Right? I'm not talking about the billionaire with the big house in the Hamptons. I'm talking about the person I, who thinks this is cool, fun, and an exciting way to spend their time. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not taking away that there's an element of that, but you're really discounting how smart so many of these people are. Okay, and all I would encourage you to do is spend a little time in these forums, go into the Discord server, and you're not going to hear a bunch of bros just sloshing around. You're going to hear a bunch of really, really smart people talking about things in fundamental ways. Chamath, don't tell and me so, that yesterday AMC Entertainment was was uh, you know, know a five dollar stock, and today it's up 170 percent, and that's I'm justified. Just, don't tell God, me that some of these names are justified I, to being where they are. God. It's one company in one moment of time. What I'm saying is you're... There's like 10 companies, sweeping. 15 companies, 20 companies. You're broadly sweeping with a broad brush that says these guys don't know what they're doing and they don't deserve to do what they are doing. And what I'm telling you is there is a small part of momentum, there is a part that's fundamental analysis, and then there's a part that's just sticking it to the man. I'm not taking you away from that. But the reality is it's all allowed in a free market. And all of a sudden, if you start the gate decisions by individual people, all you're going to do is systematically lock in institutional ways of making money for institutional clients. And I don't think that's the solution. If you want to go and address the solution, fix how risk-taking happens at the institutional level, fix the precondition, fix the ability for these stocks to be so massively shorted in the first place, change the business model of funds so that they're not forced
You know, one thing that we have in common with uh, Chimath, David. Let's hear it. We're all Canadian. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, His family moved to Canada as refugees from Sri Lanka. Very cool. He went to the University of Waterloo. Right next to where I went to university. And uh, moved to California um, after yeah, he graduated. You know what? I think his his viewpoint here is spot on because if you're going to add in restrictions, you basically just force retail investors out of the game. And I don't think anybody wins in that scenario. We don't want wealth creation just for the wealthy. We want the potential for wealth creation for ordinary people too. And that shouldn't require you to be logging into your bank and paying heavy fees and long waiting times or calling your broker. Like I bet you for 98% of the people who are listening to this show on the radio, 98% would have zero idea of how to go about investing outside of institutions if it wasn't for these apps these apps provide a tremendous resource for ordinary people to play the game and what's unfortunate is that the perception here is that the game is rigged and that that that, yeah and that's that that's something that they have to address and they better make sure all of their comms people that are in the company are i I hope they didn't sleep last night oh can you imagine (laughs) being in that pr Uh, room right now yeah no. Not fun. Not fun. That's something that you do not try to uh, ship overseas. You know, you, you try to get these people into yes. a room. Uh, but what the CEO mentioned, you know, he was totally right. The actions of, of Robinhood coming onto the market changed the entire investing scene. And many U.S. brokerages got rid of all trading fees. Uh, this is just in the last year. I mean, I remember making trades two years ago, having to pay $8 each time, $7 each time, uh, sometimes a percentage, all depending. And it really did change things. And maybe this is just another example of where you have huge innovation by one player. They eventually fizzle or get trampled. And then the unicorn rears its head and takes over. Yeah, this, this is, you know, look at MySpace, look at yeah, AOL. It's the Uberization of finance. And... To put this into perspective for people who are listening who may not know the differences, like why, well, why wouldn't you just trade through your bank or some uh, account with fees? We're talking about people who, in many instances, are investing with their loose change. So if you're going to buy $30 worth of some stock that's $1.39, it could be a good investment, it could be a bad investment, but if you're paying $8 fees on the buy and the sell, the consumer is getting soaked and they don't invest enough money to actually make money because in order to sell, that stock has to triple in order for you to at least cover your $16 on trading fees. And so- So you're always negative when you start yes, out. You're down, yeah, you're down your fee. And unless you're moving big money, like unless you're moving 500, 1,000, $10,000, it can be hard to just overcome the fees. You need some really rapid growth to overcome the fees. And so this app-based investing, especially with no fees, is a huge tool for people to play uh, play the game. And I think that that's a good thing. Um, I also agree with Chamath that if you go into these forums, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of weirdos just saying, hold, 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 bye, bye, bye. 
but there's also some serious breakdowns of why they think a company's good. And there are people explaining like, hey, I think this company is good because they have good market share. They have good retail access. They've brought somebody new onto the board who's going to revamp the company, et cetera, et cetera. Those, I mean, that's that's a legitimate viewpoint. It could, it could end up being false, completely false, but it's a legitimate yeah. viewpoint. And it just shows you, it shows you the also the bedfellows here. So Chameth, we just played his clip. Um, I didn't catch this, but apparently on Thursday night, he hopped on Twitch with AOC. Oh, boy. Uh, so they had a Twitch convo. I got to yeah, go find that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and here's this guy, this uber capitalist billionaire, you know, I mean, he does have his own investing yes. firm, right? And he's being invited onto AOC's uh, platform, and they're probably having a good time. Maybe they're playing Animal Crossings or something like this. But he's brought in, and he's sharing the same indignation and anger. And uh, it's it's going to continue. Uh, my hope, one thing that you did not mention, David, is that while all this is happening, and there's a lot of different conversations happening about people investing and getting into the market, and I, I would say that the larger trend that we're going to see is that people will be coming into the market and trying to trade a bit more. Sure, a lot of people will have lost out yep. because I don't know if they're going to be huge spikes. I mean, I don't know if I knew I'd be a yeah. billionaire, but I think people are going to be moving to the decentralized finance stuff. They're going to start looking more at Bitcoin at Ethereum and all these other markets where, yeah, uh, these exchanges, they're plentiful. There are many and fees are incredibly low. Uh, they don't shut windows. There is no closing mm -hmm. hours. They're open 24-7. And the only thing that you need is some sort of applicability where people can use those cryptocurrencies in real time. Uh, that's that's a whole other complex subject. But just to know that, you know, everyone is at home. And I've heard this argument before. Everyone is at home. Everyone is locked down after a raging pandemic, told to stay home. Nothing's open. What else are people going to do but, you know, take their checks or, you know, whatever small money they have and invest in the market? I mean, this is probably adding so much to it right now that a lot of these people are, are not able to go out and have a good time. Uh, everybody's kind of glued to their computers watching these prices and kind of just throwing as much money as they can yeah, into it. Yeah, and I, it's funny. When Joe Biden gave his inauguration speech, he was talking about unity. Um, and maybe this was the unity he was talking about, bringing, to get, bringing together a capitalist like... <laughs> Um, like Chamath and Elon Musk with AOC. And it, I mean, from my point of view, if that makes AOC more open to actual free markets um, and op in opposition of cronyism, then that's probably a good outcome because I mean, for Chamath, he's ba like, he would, he would essentially say, look, yes. Are some retail investors going to lose? Yeah. I mean, that happens. This is, that is how the market works. You, you are making, whether they're informed or not, wagers on the performance of a particular stock. And so long as the game is fair, there are going to be winners and losers, and that is okay. It's when the game isn't fair that it isn't okay. And unfortunately, the sure. likes of Elizabeth Warren and, and AOC often fall on the side of, okay, well, Robinhood shouldn't be able to do this. Uh, it's too easy for people to invest. And of course, the response, which we've already heard, is, okay, well, then that just means wealth creation for the wealthy. And that's that should be the that's antithesis it, yeah. of progressive politics. And so I hope that I hope that the criticism from progressives isn't 
this is the free market and it failed us because it's not. It should be, okay, how do we actually make this more free and fair? Because the two are related. Yeah, and it, and it's, it is hilarious because the people who are generally, again, anti-capitalism, anti-trading, anti-markets are hopping onto the bandwagon saying, people need to be able to buy shares. <laughs> we need people in the stock market. Uh, yeah. Hilarious. And uh, as fellow Canadian and American Kevin O'Leary pointed out uh, <laughs> he on Twitter, uh, he, he was wearing his uh, Tax the Rich AOC sweatshirt, and he, he, he showed how much it was. It was something like fifty-seven dollars. Wild, so overpriced. And he was saying, "Yeah, I said the what? What's the what's the marginal cost here? Like, what what's the actual unit price? Probably six bucks. So high margins. I love it." Yeah, he, he says. He, yeah. he goes. Yeah. He, I think he said something along the lines of, "Gross margins make even the most rabid socialist capitalists." <laughs> we could be in business together. Call me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I mean, really interesting. And then one other angle, uh, I know that we're, we're going to be running out of time soon, but there's also this no another emerging story of whether or not there's a conflict in the Treasury Secretary, um, Janet Yellen, who's Oh, I like this. Received, yeah, I didn't get a clip. Yeah, so but she's yes. received, I think it's like upwards of $800,000 in speaking fees from some of the firms who we've already spoken about. Um, and so I think one of the questions to, I mean, I, I, I don't criticize whether she deserves to get paid a lot of money for speeches or not. I don't know. That's, that's up for the people who are paying it to decide. Um, but there, there is now like an ethical question of she has to, she, if she's weighing in, she will have to do so in a unbiased way, knowing that she's made almost a million dollars off of people who have a vested interest in what her comments or decisions are. And so there's a huge possible conflict of interest there that hasn't really, I mean, there's been some murmurs about that, but I think that's going to be a further discussion that the Biden administration is going to have to wrangle with is how. Mm, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be swept you, under. You don't think anybody will really talk about it? I think it'll be talked about. I think absolutely nothing will happen and it'll be the same platitudes because this is not the Trump administration. Yes, yeah. And if this happened and, you know, a Janet Yellen type person was in there and there was some connection to the company, uh, every single member of the financial press or the political press would be calling for bloody murder. Yeah, if Mnuchin was, was, uh, was paid to speak at Citadel for 800 grand and was weighing in on decisions on what the government does next as a cabinet secretary, there'd be calls for him to resign. Oh, no, it would be intense. It would be corruption. It'd be, you know, top level. And all, all this is kind of unfortunate. And in the background and, and something we haven't even talked about is obviously the new Joe Biden administration and, and the executive orders that are happening and a lot of the attention. Uh, I mean, there have been a lot of questions. There's a lot of, you know, <laughs> there is a lot of opposition to what's happening. But because it's not Trump, uh, the eyeballs have kind of rolled back and in a way isn't the media lucky that Trump exits the scene. He exits the scene. The ratings bonanza that was Trump is gone. Thankfully, this is right there in our laps. Yes. <laughs> Robin Hood and the stock market. I mean, what happens when this yeah, ends? Yeah, what are they going to cover uh, next? Do, do they go back to being boring <laughs> and covering? Yeah, we need to make another plane disappear, basically. Yeah, yeah. Do, are they, do they just go back to covering like tornadoes and hurricanes and whatnot? 
Um, I don't know. I mean, it has been a wild ride to follow this and it's not over. I mean, if you go on these Wall Street bets um, accounts or the, the Reddit forum, this isn't over. And I know that Friday there was limited trading that was opened up. Um, we'll see what impact that has on the overall um, performance of what we'll call these hot stocks, but it's not over. Um, you can see in these forums, essentially people asking where else they can go. They're liquidating everything that they have in Robinhood or transferring it to other um, brokerage accounts. And so they're not going away and they're not going away. And there's nothing particularly illegal about what they're doing. And so this is going to be something that sticks around for a while. I think that, I mean, some people thought that Scaramucci was maybe a little over the top, calling it the French Revolution of Finance, but it really does feel like the battle of the little guy versus the big guy, David versus Goliath. And well, this is exactly why consumer choice is important. That's exactly what yes. we do, David. And yeah, we got we got plenty for us, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we have our our guests are a great launch uh, next week on Saga 960 AM. So thank you guys for listening. We'll uh, talk to you next week. As always, it was a pleasure. And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check out Consumer Choice Radio for much more. And as always, if you are listening online through your favorite podcast app, we appreciate that. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast uh, and follow us on Twitter at Consumer C Radio. Uh, thanks again.